Hello, and welcome to the In the Can podcast. I am Devin, and I'm here with Tom and James. And we are back in a basement, and again, pretending we're important. <laughs> uh, how you doing, guys? Doing pretty good, actually. Uh, ex- unexpected heat wave we've had. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we're actually seeming like we're out of winter, finally. <laughs> yeah, well, the winds of winter are dead. Give it, give it, <laughs> give it three months, Tom. Uh, I know. We are recording this on Sunday, and it's not 9 p.m. yet, so something big hasn't dropped. So, yeah, yeah we no, are in the south. No uh, responses to uh, the thing that's coming tonight. <laughs> so just out of mild curiosity, is this the is this the kibosh on everything, or? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the series finale tonight. Wow, okay. I yeah. thought it was just... Mm. I will say, now I actually enjoyed last episode. Yeah, uh, a lot of people hated it for various reasons, but I actually really, really enjoyed it. So did I. Don't watch it. But I can tell you what I did see this week. Disaster porn. Oh. <laughs> I told you to keep that on the down pile. <laughs> no, I actually literally just got finished an hour ago while seeing the new John Wick, uh, uh, Parabellum. Cool. We'll get into John Wick. Uh, I think we all have seen that yeah. this week. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Sure. So that was the um, only thing I've seen this week. So what did you guys see? Uh, well, the movies that came out this weekend or this past weekend, uh, Dog's Journey. Didn't see, didn't see it. it. Not nope. surprised. Nope. Uh, there are a couple of other small ones. The Sun is also a star. I haven't got around to seeing it. Um, John Wick came out. Again, we'll push that to a little bit later. Probably last. Uh, this week, I caught up on the I Know What You Did Last Summer series. Oh, my word. The first okay. one's okay. Not good. That Second one's pretty bad. Third one is... Well, the it's third bad. <laughs> Devin, that's usually how it goes with horror, though. It's like, first one, usually pretty good because I've got a vision. Then afterwards, they're cheap to make. Throw them out, throw them out, throw them out. Oh, crap, we need a reboot. It was decent. Well, if you go the third, uh, Friday the 13th, sure, not not Jason. Then Jason in a sack, and then Jason with a mask on. So number three is pretty good. <laughs> you know, that's not... Well, then the, well then Jason went to hell, Manhattan, in space. So, I mean... Well, yeah, that's like 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, we don't talk about those. <laughs> then there's the Freddy series where it's eh, pretty, and then pretty bad, pretty gay. And then uh, the second one's all about closeted homophobia, which is really weird. And then uh, the third one was up. actually pretty good. It was called The Dream Warriors. So that, that one was actually really good. I've heard. So uh, how many did you get through for No for, You Did Last Summer? I, I got all three. I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer, and I'll always know what you did last summer. Well, I mean, that's escalation, isn't it? Yeah. That's one more than I thought they actually made. So, hey. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, Tom, same. It's okay. Number three, uh, they don't. a lot of people don't know that it exists. But I'm pretty sure for good reason. It came with the collection I bought. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also watched a little, little indie movie called Primer. Okay. Um, it was one that was highly recommended to me, so I figured, why not? I'd give it a shot. And it was... So, it's shot for super low budget. I think it was like $7,000. Wow. Okay. Super low budget. The guy had never directed a movie before, and it kind of shows. He's never written a movie before, and again, it kind of shows. And ultimately, it was shot so tight, they shot 80 minutes, and the movie is 78 minutes long. Holy wow, smokes. what? And you can tell that they didn't shoot much extra. This was 10 years ago or so before digital cameras really popped into the popped into the indie market. Into Vogue. <laughs> yeah. 
And the whole thing is about two scientists, one played by the director, um, that are messing around with some kind of mechanical thing and then they accidentally make a time machine. <laughs> like you do. Where they get in the box and then, or they have to turn on the box at a certain point. The box then stays on for however long. They jump in the box and they wait that same amount of time as they go backwards in time and then get out of the box. It's really weird. <laughs> quick, quick, quick question, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need to say it. Were the scientists' names Calvin and Hobbes? No, it's <laughs> what was it? Aaron, A A R O N, oh. and Abe, A B E. And the reason I mentioned that is that. They, like, get in at point A and they get out at point B. And the time travel is really cool because they actually have, like, if they go five hours into the past, they literally sit in the box for five hours and then wake up five hours in the past. And this is where I hated the movie when I finished it because I'm like, this movie is terrible. I have no idea what's going on in this movie. But then I started thinking about it and I started, like, reviewing it and really analyzing the story. And the storytelling and the cinematography and just about everything about the movie is all over the place. <laughs> it's either really good or really bad. But then when you start delving into the concept, the concept is phenomenal. Well, yeah, I was just thinking that because you said you'd have to stay in the box for five hours to go back five hours. And honestly, that's kind of interesting because there's a consistency there in <laughs> that you can't go back 15 years on a whim. Yep. So they actually do a really good job of people, they start looping back and like, they'll, okay, we turn the box on, we go and hide in a hotel for the next four, next four and a half hours. We figure out who won the stock market. And then we go back, we get in at five hours after it starts, six hours, I think was the actual timeline. They get in the box, go back, and then they get out of the box. Now their original counterparts are in the hotel. They get out of the box, they do, they go bet on the stock market, and then the the first two get back or are getting in the box as they as the second two get live out their life. So they're technically cheating the system, but not really cheating the system since they've already lifted the. Yeah, it's one of those that the more I thought about the story, the better the movie got. It's just amateur hour. I almost want the same director to get some money and like a good cinematographer and a good writer and redo it. <laughs> Because it was very, very hard to watch. Like, it was, there was no violence or there was very little violence, very little anything, any swearing or anything. It's just, it's a hard movie to understand. It's less than an hour and a half. And I'm like, about midway through, and I'm like, geez, <laughs> I feel like I've been watching this movie forever. So, so it sounds like there's just a lot going on in a very short amount of time with very little explanation. They, yeah, the they don't explain it at all. <laughs> Apparently, it turns out there's like six different time loops going on. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I missed that. Whatever. Ooh, cool. Okay. Oh, it does uh, sound like a really interesting concept, though. I originally gave it like a four. But then the more I think about it, the higher the rating's going. It's six up to like, or seven? It's up to like six or seven. If, if it was better, like physically better made, it would be a higher rating. But you could have the coolest concept in the world. But if I can't understand it, you lose points. Execution. Yeah, it, it was very poorly executed. That's sad to hear. Yeah. What about you, Tom? What else have you watched? So uh, this week uh, I saw probably my least favorite of the two uh, movies outside of John Wick that I saw this week. 
um, was uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Um, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson documentary, documentary about World War I, uh, where he used um, the actual uh, voice recordings of interviews with people who fought in World War I and um, old documentary footage of uh, World War One. It's been color graded. That was color graded. Um, it starts off black and white, and then probably about twenty minutes in, it goes into color. And it was a weird concept to like get behind. Um, and then, unlike other documentaries for like w- war that you normally see, uh, where there's a lot of explosions and shooting and stuff like that, this was very much the opposite. It was experience of these uh, individuals and what they talked about. And it was a different feel entirely in the fact that when you were listening to it, um, they were talking about the conditions of the food that they ate, the uh, what it was like living in a trench where they would have, uh, you know, uh, four days in the trenches uh, or uh, where they would have like a two week stint in the tre- trenches and then you were out again. Um, when you were on, you were on for two hours on watch and then you had four hours off. Um, and then you were back on again. Uh, there was a point where they were talking about when you got back towards the back lines and you're walking on the boards to go through, the mud got so bad that if you slipped and fell into it, people just died. They couldn't pull you out. You were done. And the it was just like falling into a bog. Nothing, nobody could pull you out. You were just done. The First World War is a major shift from how we used to do it, which is, you, you know, the, the Napoleonic stuff, the, the charge forward head first, to what most consider now modern war that was uh, brought to the masses, as it were, with World War II. You've got that clash of that. So I'm not surprised that it doesn't have the bombacity that later stuff does because it wasn't it was not even considered that at the time and on top of that um one of the other major points that they that seemed to go along with us was the fact that the war changed so drastically from the beginning of the war to the end of the war somebody who went in at the very beginning um served their stint and left and then got re-upped maybe like a year or two later and went back in would go are you sure this is the same war they okay. wouldn't recognize it at all no it, it was the transition from the old school uh, one big clash to a drawn out struggle. Yeah, and it, it they were it was brutal. They when they say the war to end all wars, when they were talking about that, the struggle that these individuals went through was some of the most heart wrenching things to hear about. Um, it was like something that you would hear out of some some somebody's like worst nightmare. These are not conditions that anybody should ever have to go through. Even World War II in some of the like more hard hit areas and some of the places, some of the things that we've heard, for instance, the American troops having to go through, um, it, this was tons, like a hundred times worse in a lot of cases when you had water up to their chest in the trenches yeah. and they could do nothing about it. It was insane. Um, and then they even didn't get their stuff for like four weeks it took them weeks before they got a full uniform when they first started the war it was insane um overall good uh i definitely suggest people see it um 
but it is something that is uh, a little bit hard to get through, even though it's only 100 minutes long. So an hour and 40 minutes long, it's still rough to get through um, at points. That sounds about right. Um, and I like documentaries, but this was, again, a little bit rough. Uh, that being said, on the same topic of World War I, uh, I saw Tolkien, and I very much enjoyed that film. Um, I'll, I'll catch it eventually. I might. I probably will at some point. Maybe this week, since there's really nothing going on. Yeah, uh, Nicholas Holt and Lily Collins do an amazing job in the film. Um, Lily Collins plays uh, Nicholas Holt's love interest. Nicholas Holt plays J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and he had an interesting childhood and uh, interesting life in general. Um, that was when he was fighting in the war was not what what came out, how he came out was a, a mere shadow of what he went in as like so many people did. Um, and overall, I think that the movie illustrates a great deal of the mindset that people had at that time period in history. Um, and then it, it's a great, interesting uh, dive into seeing how he developed um, his experiences into his writing and his stories. Um, and I thought it was just a really well done film. Uh, acting was really well done. It was just a good movie. And I highly recommend it. Um, easily uh, an 8 out of 10. Wow. I'll give it a shot. I have a few movies I have to kind of backlog. I was definitely curious about it. I will say that. Yeah. I have to catch up with that. I have to see Hustle still. Just yeah. Because (laughs) there's, there's a few kind of in that same, like stars, stars or sun is also a star. Yeah. I'm curious to see. And, um, movie coming out this week called book smart. Yeah. I won't see this week, but I, I want to catch eventually. Exactly. So, but the big movie this week was John wick three Parabellum. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, where would you rate it as far as the series? You know, I'd probably put it at two. I'll need to watch it again, but with the full knowledge of everything involved. But I still don't think it hits uh, what one did. Okay, so one, three, two. Yes, exactly. I think that I think at the moment that that's where my standing is on it. All right. Um, or Tom. Yeah. What'd you think? I'm. I absolutely loved it. Some of the world building, because I love the fact that the series has a really rich universe. It does. But there was like a certain story arc that just felt like, cool, we don't know where to go with this, so let's waste 20 minutes in the desert. And then it's like, well, back to back to New York. Yeah, okay, I got to agree with that, because what was the point? Yeah, the whole... It's not much of a sportsman above the high table. It's like, what's the point of this? I want not to be excommunicated. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's like the one thing that I didn't like. That whole yeah. thing could have was not exactly, I don't think, handled well. Yeah, it. I'll give it another shot because because of things that happened later on. But no. I liked some of that, but there was a lot of the times where I'm like. Ah, it's just, you're going from like a pretty ground, 
a relatively grounded assassin ninja flick to like Middle Eastern uh, almost Aladdin fantasy for a scene and then you come back to the the grounded reality it's like "Mm, okay Um, how would you rate it uh, how would you rate it with the trilogy? I'd have, I'd have the same, the same basic setup. I one, three, and then two. Okay. The the thing is, I actually thinking about it, it might be three, one, two, just because I absolutely love most of this movie, and there's some other things. The a couple of the fights later in the movie, I'm like, this should not be taking so long. <laughs> there were right. so many pauses. There were so many like slightly too long pauses and yeah. reuses of other stuff that had happened in the previous two movies, not to an excessive amount. And it probably wouldn't have bothered me if I hadn't seen the other two movies, but there was just a couple longer pauses than was necessary in the fighting. Yeah. Um, for me, I think that, I, I mean, I love the movie overall. Uh, I very much think that it's, mm, it might be my favorite of the three. Um, I have to go back and see it a, th- a second time. Um, the biggest thing that I have, um, I would want to rate it number one in my list of the three based on one for one reason, and that's the ac- amount of action that's in there. Um, yeah, a lot of buried <clears throat> action, too. And yeah. uh, the amount of in- amount of intrigue that it brought up in me, the questions that I had seeing it and wanting to see more. Um, I think would make it number one. However, if I was just going with overall cohesive story as in a single unit, I would probably go with number one, then three, then two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because one is easily just, here's a standalone film. It can be done one and done easily. You're, you're done. You're out the door. I will say a lot of the stuff that happened in three uh, took care of some of the problems I had with two. Yeah. Specifically two's ending. I liked the ending of two with the like the excommunication. I'll give you an hour. I like the the giving him an hour kind of bit him in the ass. Oh, it but comes then, up. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff near the end that it kind of the twists and turns. I'm like, I'm not sure what is an actual twist and what's like a setup. Yeah, and that's kind of one of those that it's leading into a fourth movie. They just announced a fourth movie. Right. So and, for yeah. me, anybody who's seen the cast list on here um, knows about. Angelica Houston and Halle Berry. Um, Angelica Houston, the trailers, you do. yeah. Or if you've seen the trailers, Angelica Houston. I would really want to know more about that part of John Wick's past. Uh, she'll probably be in the next one. Um, right. And I would like to know because, like, we got a, a a quick, like, simple look at where he that all fits into his life a little bit. But I'd like to know a lot more about it. You could watch Red Sparrow. It felt very similar. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen Red Sparrow, so that would You're not miss much. Fair. Um, and then <laughs> the other thing is uh, with Halle Berry's part in this, I loved her scenes for combat. Holy crap! I loved the Casablanca action. Scene. That was great. Yeah, that was uh, easily with up the there. dogs and the that whole thing was yeah. up there. My only que- my only problem with that scene was it felt like. Are they literally fighting the entirety of Casablanca? Yes. It was, um, yeah, pretty much. Because it's so avoidable, too. That's the funniest part. Right. I'm just like, I'm just like, because this is, I, as much action as there is in this, and as awesome as it is to watch, 
how long is this going to keep going for? <laughs> I, I will say, I liked that the majority of it was focused on Halle Berry's character, uh, yeah. Sophie. I loved yeah. that. Yeah. We've already seen John Wick for two movies. They yeah. gave us someone kick ass with a couple dogs. And it was like, that's amazing. That's how, you, that's how you change it. I love how they reloaded in that scene. Yes. It's like, uh, I think it was that one that got the three-way out-of-bullet standoff. Yes. And then... He was just faster. But I love the the way, like, he'll run out of bullets and he'll just grab someone else's gun and then shoot somebody. And he was, like, he was counting his own bullets and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. Whereas um, Sophia would, like, chuck her gun at someone and steal it from someone else and shoot him. Yeah. Yep. And, like, that kind of I stuff. I will also say two moments of music that once I started hearing those opening tones, I was like, oh, here comes some fun. One was in the first five or so minutes where you it was either one of two... One of two songs. It was, it was either uh, "Story of Wick," which is basically Wick's theme, or it was "Man of Focus," where you just start hearing that trilling, the, the the piano, and then the chord comes in. Man of Man of Focus was also in two. Yeah, it was. That's what I mean, though. It's yeah. like reused from two. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. The other one also reused from two. Uh, towards the end, uh, the Presto Museum battle music mm-hmm. started hearing the beginnings of that. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, here comes the fun." <laughs> Um, the other thing was, uh, um, seeing, uh, Dukaskis back in here, I having not seen him since I was, um, a kid in action films. Which one was Dukaskis? Uh, he played, um, Zero. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. You would also know him as the chairman on uh, Iron the American Chef. Iron Chef. Yeah. Um, he, he is, uh, a, I think a brown belt in um, multiple studies of martial arts. Is that like level two. I I don't know. He I know that it's he's there, but it's not. I know that he's won like championships okay. with that. Probably a little bit higher at that level. level. Two. I think, um, and, was, and they're like international championships. They're not just like his character States. was fun. Yeah, his character was fun. I got I got some good laughs from him. One of the things that I loved very much was the whole, oh John Wick, nice to meet you, <laughs> constantly. I was just like, that is that is great. That's a great trip. He, he was what I'd hoped Commons character would be from two. I like that Commons in two was respectable to him and still kind well, of a no. Rival, no I mean, I mean, I apologize. Him. I meant more uh, amount of time we we had with him. Oh, yeah, that's I apologize. That's yeah. more what I meant. No, I liked I liked his character for what it was in two. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, other thing I can say, and it's the last one I'll say, other other than definitely gonna be seeing again, gonna love it again, is that. Uh, two of uh, Zero's acquaintances are very familiar to anybody who's seen The Raid. Yep, two as well. Yep, I, I saw it and I was like, is that Mad Dog? It's and Mad has, Dog and the Karambit Assassin. Yeah, and he has the Karambit. I was like, it is! Yeah, I was like, yay! Mad Dog from the first raid. He's also the hobo in the second raid. Yeah. The one that gets killed in the nightclub. And then the other yeah, guy is... The other one's the assassin with the Karambit. Who looks like his brother. I think they're... I think they've been working together for years. They were the choreographers on Raid and Raid Brandle. Um, but I don't think they're related. They just, yeah, they look like they're very similar. They look like they're at least cousins. But no, other than that, I will definitely say it is definitely worth a watch. And I will 100% be seeing it again to kind of fit, figure out where it fits in my, uh, little top three. And I, I will stress. Just because I put two at the bottom does not mean I think it's a bad film. Yeah, I still love yeah. that. All three of these movies have been some of the best action movies in the last decade or so. 
And last thing that I would want to say about this film is that I, not having seen obviously anything of the big blockbusters coming out for the summer, but I pro- I'm pretty much sure that this is going to be the action film of the year. Um, as far as like straight fight choreography goes, this is probably going to be the action film of the year. I'm going to say I know what one you're thinking, Devin. It's already out, and it's made almost $2.7 billion. I don't consider that an action movie. A lot of people don't, but if you're not thinking Avengers Endgame is an action movie, then... Uh, well, I'm talking straight fight choreography. Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a straight action movie, which is what I think of it's as a, John Wayne. To Wayne's. me, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's still very much an action movie. Oh, yeah. it's got Oh, it's got its foot in there oh, yeah. hard. Yeah. But, but a lot of people don't think comic book movies are action movies. Oh, they so are. They, they still are. No, I, I mean, what, I, I would agree with you on that point. But, yeah. I'm, but what I'm getting at is yeah, like, the choreography. The, if you're looking for like a straight shoot 'em up, fight 'em, bad guy versus good guy type action film, this is probably I, it. I think there was 20 to 30 minutes where someone wasn't wasn't getting shot or <laughs> stabbed killed, in the or, eye. Oh my god! That was probably the most brutal scene uh, of the entire film. That and the the basic decapitation of the book. Oh, yeah, it was such a cool. Well, no, there was such a cool fight scene. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff, and we could go on. I'd go on for an hour on this alone. Yeah, Zero had so in Zero's fight scene, there were a lot of points where he should have just outright killed John Wick. He was yeah. a fanboy, and you know he kept what? hitting him with the like the blunt end of it, his blade. Yep. If he stabbed him once, John Wick would be down, and that's the only fight that I realized that the person was holding back, and they never addressed it. Like said, you're not trying hard enough or something. No, no, no. And I, but you know what? They kind of subtly hinted at it because he was in, he was enjoying meeting an idol, like yeah. someone he revered. So he, of course, he wasn't gonna go. He wasn't gonna go completely out because he wanted to prolong it. Yeah, and, he was touring with him. Yeah, that, and I think also too, he was trying to prove a point to him that we are the same. Yeah, <laughs> that we're the same, and but, I have yeah. the control. But yeah, either yeah. way, definitely worth it. Yeah. So the, the Mad Dog Crambit Crambit assassin thing, fight yeah. went a little long. It, yeah, like their their fight, they have really big flurries of really cool action, and then they separated about like four times. It went a little, oh, it was a little prolonged, and it kind of got to that like action fatigue, kind of middle of their fight. Super so, excited for number four. I'm just hope. I'm excited and I'm curious about it. I I kind of wish they kept it at a trilogy. Though. I, I I won't lie. That was my biggest beef. With this. Yeah, I won't lie. I definitely I definitely hope with four they take a couple months off so John Wick can actually heal. Yeah, <laughs> because holy crap! But then let's go. Let's go. Yeah. The uh, the adjudicator, not the best actress. I enjoyed she, the character though. She was fine. It it felt stilted though. It. I almost think that was the point, but. Possibly, I, I enjoyed it for for I enjoyed it for what it brought to the world building. Yeah, yeah. all right. Let's so stop. <laughs> moving on. Uh, this week, um, I already mentioned Booksmart. Looking, I want to see it. it it's yeah. nothing special. It's I literally not heard of this one. A coming of age tale of two two girls coming out of high school or something. Yeah, cool. Looks fun. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I really want to see Brightburn. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. That's probably the one I'll be seeing this uh, week. I don't remember the director, any of the stars' names, really. I, mean, I, think I know Nicole Kidman's in it. No, I know the writer was Gunn, James Gunn. The one that directed Pitch Perfect. Oh, um, yeah, the Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, she's the mom. 
Yeah. Um, other than that, nobody. Uh, James Gunn produced it was involved it. with the writing. Wasn't produced it? and I believe wrote it. Yeah. But that's that's was, the biggest that's the biggest name I know attached. It was to the it. one he was about to announce right before all the crap with his old tweets came out and he got fired. So yeah. he was supposed to announce Brightburn that weekend. So good job, Internet. Um, I wonder if that was why. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. No. 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 That, that's. Um, yeah. It's. I'm curious about Brightburn. Yeah. yeah, I I'm I'll probably see that this week over yeah. the other movie coming out, which Dang. is the one we're gonna kind of focus on, which is Aladdin. Yeah, I'm the, probably uh, gonna see that live action remake of Aladdin. I saw I, I saw Aladdin when I was three. I'm not seeing it again. <laughs> I have watched it a bunch of times when I was younger and have never really cared since I grew up. I've watched it a ton all of my life since it came out. So I've got the songs on my iPod. I know that much. I don't. I've never been a huge fan of Aladdin. Just it it's been one of my favorite Disney musical cartoon things that have come out. To so. be fair, I care more for uh, Aladdin 3, King of Thieves. Ugh. I've seen it. Oh, what are you? What are, No, not getting into this. <laughs> Technically Anyways. they're musicals, right? They are. I mean, I'm not a fan of 2 or 3, so <laughs> 2 not so much, 3 I think is better than 1. And I'm mm. gonna get hate from Tom for that. No, no hate. No, I just <laughs> no, I mean, I'm hate. not. A, yeah, I'm just not a fan of two or three. Shade then, I guess. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I'm a big guy, so if, you stand just, up, if I if you are on the ground and I'm tall enough to stand over you, you're gonna get a lot of shade. I'll just back out of the whole Disney musical debate here, and you guys know about <laughs> it. Nah, nah, no, no, I think we're we're good on that one. Cool. <laughs> so this week, uh, like last week, we went over uh, action films. This week, we're going to go over musicals. Yeah. So, Tom? All right. So, with musicals, again, there's several things that we've kind of uh, realized really make up uh, what makes a good musical on screen. Uh, This isn't to take away from things like Singing in the Rain, things like that. that came out a while ago in the Silver Age of Cinema. Silver Golden Age. Um, Those uh, films, those particular musicals, were designed and written specifically for the screen um, at the time. At the time, they later became stage productions. However, they were originally designed for the screen. So elements from those um, are often used when you're looking at hit musicals today that are on the screen. Um, so I guess the question I have, I have, which probably should ask before this, is: Are we talking? Are is this more in line with? Uh, stage to film transition or is it made for film so it depends a lot of these things can be used um for straight to film um in a lot of cases they're still going to have uh overlapping elements however if you're also looking at something that was originally for stage and going to film we're going to have some things that wouldn't be for i mean obviously would be specifically towards that type of musical instead okay then i think we should probably kind of just make a brief note on each of those what which right so um like with all films directors are a huge thing uh if you have the right director they know how to work with the actors the writers everybody uh to make an amazing film um the other thing i think is just they they have a passion for the actual genre they're going into and the the work that they're working on the the piece of work they're 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 creating into film um, they understand how it's going to look. Uh, they are, have an understanding of how they want it to look in their head before it gets out there. They 
have an understanding of where they want their actors um, to get to in an emotional space and be able to portray that to everybody else that they're acting for uh, through the camera, that kind of thing. Um, moving beyond that, because that's such an integral thing, uh, the next thing I'd like to touch on is uh, choreography or cinematography. Uh, choreograph choreography and cinematography, um, with all musicals, there's always an element of dancing, singing, those kind of things. They all go hand in hand. And with that choreography, uh, if you don't have a choreography that's going to, one, be big enough to get everybody's attention, then you shouldn't have it on, on the screen in the first place. And two, if you're going to do that, make it pop. Use your cameras to highlight everything that you can to focus on the parts of that choreography that are the most impressive, that are going to help drive story, that are going to make the audience go wow and try to be fully immersed. So I guess the best way is that focus with a lot of uh, pretty lights around it, essentially. Yeah, basically, I mean, um, for lack of a better term, Disney-fy it. When you've, if you've ever been to Disney World uh, and you've gone to one of their uh, shows, um, they know how to make a production to where if it's your first time seeing it, like Fantasmic or what have you, you sit there, you watch, and you go, wow, that's a production. You know, I, I do think there's something to be said, though, of the of also the simpler stuff, because I can go back and watch something like Music Man or Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and enjoy that a lot more than some of the modern stuff because they go too big. Whereas, yes, those older ones are simplistic or maybe not as bombastic, but they use that. Right. Again, though, those were also developed specifically for film originally prior to being on stage. You know what? That is a good If point. I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe not Music Man. No, I think I believe Man Seven was. Brides for Seven Brothers was. I feel like some I I'm thinking Seven Brothers Seven Brothers on Broadway first. But okay. I, I mean I could be entirely I'm not wrong. sure. I'm not much and, of a music person. And musical person. <laughs> uh, to be entirely honest with you, I, again I could be wrong, but I know that when they did that, they made it so that way the people were highlighted in a way that made it for the screen. It was a good screen adaptation oh, of yeah. that film. Or of that particular piece. Um, the next thing that I want to touch on, and it was a big thing back, uh, when musicals were a more prevalent, uh, piece for cinema was humor. A lot of the times you had humor going into the musicals that you saw, at least in some case, most of the time they were, uh, a romantic setup. Um, you had, uh, as for instance, uh, one of my favorite musicals of all time, White Christmas. Um, you have Danny Kaye, who plays off of Bing Crosby in such a way that he's a farce. He's just a complete and total, like, lighthearted moron who constantly gets them into some form of trouble, usually chasing <laughs> after the pretty lady, um, while constantly referencing, but remember... I saved you from being crushed by a building, so you owe me. <laughs> Big one that always comes to my mind with humor is uh, singing in the rain, make them laugh. Yes. That whole that whole shtick is just a giant slapstick to that poor guy. Yes. Which he had to do twice. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, for those who are fans of uh, the producers, uh, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, that's my personal favorite version of the producers. Nothing against uh, the Zero Marcel and uh, Gene Wilder version. Um, it's just, I think that the one with the Lane. more modern version of it, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick play so incredibly well off of each other. That does not surprise me in the least. Um, then again, they've also done the run on Broadway for several years prior to it going to film. Oh. Uh, for their film adaptation of it. Um, which would then bring me to my next point. Um, the cuts and rewrites. Whenever you're making a film version of a musical, if it's originally on stage, you want to make sure that the rewrites and the cuts are actually done so that way you're still capturing the main essence of the musical, but without trimming the fluff, basically. Yeah, and making it more uh, screen-worthy, I would guess would be what I'm trying to go for. Cinematic. In yeah, cinematic, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a word. What's that a word? Yeah. Cinematic. That's the word. Words are a thing. There's um, a word for something in words cinema. Words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Vocabulary. Who knew it existed? Um, but when you're looking at a cinematic, and uh, when you're trying to make a musical more cinematic, you're going to try to make it go in a way that is highlighting everything that's going on. So it's not just, I have one perspective to look at for this musical. I can only look at it from this vantage point. Well, that's the biggest thing is the fact that uh, you've got, they both have their own strengths in that uh, theater, all that sort of stuff. More often than not only has the invisible fourth wall to really see from. So you kind of highlight around that. Whereas like you said, with cinema, I know Devin goes on about this a while. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Just the different variations for your cinematography. You don't have to be constrained to necessarily normal viewpoints. Right. Um, one of the things that I really much uh, liked in this particular case uh, for doing cuts and rewrites, um, a great example would be with Les Miserables. Okay, when they did Les Miserables, uh, they rewrote the I Dream to Dream song. So it's really showing uh, Anne Hathaway's character at her absolute lowest. She has given up everything at this point. She's uh, sold her hair. She's selling her teeth. Uh, she's even gotten to the point where she's selling her body in order to try to get funds together to send money off to keep her daughter taken care of. And it's nothing like what she originally dreamed of that her life would ever be. And that's exactly what the song is. And it's showing that. And it's able to showcase that in the film versus the stage, in my opinion, a better way. Because we, in the, on the stage, we can't see um, the... Pardon? We can't see close-ups. We can't see the close-ups. Or... We can't see the tr the minutia of the facial features of what's going on on these characters' faces. No, so they, so they take that into account and use that. Exactly. Cinema's much more intimate as far as human emotion and that kind of stuff, whereas theater has to be bigger and louder for the audience. Exactly. Like yeah. pe for people in the back. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly. You're... you're the the thing is, is you're always playing to the person in the back of the theater. Mm -hmm. um, so that way they can hear and see what's going on. 
Whereas a movie, everyone's in the front of the uh, of the of the of the play as yeah. it were. Everybody gets to be that special perfect seat in the theater to see exactly what needs to be seen. And it ties in with the cinematographer being able to say, "This is what you look at," racking focus to the person in the foreground instead of the person in the background, and then racking focus back to the person in the background so you can see the reaction. That's something exactly. you can't do in theater. Um, and then also changing um, Javert's song "Stars" to a different point. So um, it's telling his story of what's going on. So as his character progresses through the story, it's making more sense as to how he got to where he is by the end of the movie. Um, why he's making the decisions he is, why he's driven to do the things that he does. Other quick examples of great examples of rewrites and cuts would be Greece, Chicago, and Cabaret. <laughs> okay. All originally done for stage all redone as cinematic hits and they were all hits uh when they hit when they came out um whereas the producers um i was looking this up they actually made less money than they were uh, budgeted uh they were budgeted 45 million dollars and they made worldwide 38 million ouch well so that's that's not great right so i mean it fell flat but like those other ones not having looked quite as hard as a uh, success as they were, we know because they're everybody goes back to them time and time again as songs that they can relate to, the characters they can relate to. Uh, when you think of a young Dan, uh, uh, John Travolta, you think of Danny Zuko. I mean, I think of Saturday Night Fever, but true, <laughs> but I mean, kind of in the same vein, it's uh, yeah, I mean, they're not far off from each other, um, maybe a couple decades in time, but. Uh, as far as where they take place in timeline, but he grew up and became Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now I think Gotti and go, man, you have fallen so far. <laughs> That's true, but uh, what are you going to do? Well, then I have to have to wonder about those weird cases where it's like we had Lion King, which started as an animated film, came to a Broadway show, and now it's getting brought back to a differently animated film. <laughs> There's a few of those. Cinderella. Yeah. It's uh, then again, Little Mermaid. Then again, I just blame Disney, Disney, and just put, pull my hat down and walk away. <laughs> that's that's a fair thing. Uh, the next thing that I think that we would want to touch on is after the cuts and the rewrites, you also want to give the actors a reason to be singing on stage or in front of people. In a musical, it's a little bit easier to have that suspension of disbelief, so to speak. For people who can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. You're saying that, but that's one of my biggest problems with musicals in general so you don't like the non-diegetic soundtrack <laughs> i'm not a fan of it usually yeah i mean for those of you who don't know what a diegetic soundtrack compared to non-diegetic soundtrack diegetic is real in the world of the movie the sound is being played by something non-diegetic is the soundtrack or score is not associated to something in the actual movie okay a good example is Baby Driver. I was going to say. That is a diegetic musical. Okay. Because we're hearing the music from the perspective of Baby. Yep. Okay. Um, That's something I actually didn't know before, so that's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, you want to give them a reason to sing. Um, a great example would be uh, in Chicago. Um, all of the music that people are singing and all the dancing that they're doing is all going on from the perspective of Roxy's imagination. 
So it's not just they're just breaking out in a song for no reason. It's this is how she's perceiving everything in her mind. Uh, one of the ones that always one of two that come to mind because they're very similar in uh, execution, basically uh, mob style sing alongs. One is from Music Man, uh, Trouble in River City. Okay. Because uh, um, Howard something, I can't remember his name, but he's basically trying to get everyone to play into his con to start up a boys band. And how does he do it? He starts starts singing about them <laughs> them going wrong with that their pool table and all that sort of stuff. And just it just builds and builds until the whole city is just singing along to that sort of uh, that mob mentality of, oh, we've got to get these young boys under control before they start smoking and the like. And the other one is goes to Beauty and the Beast, actually, uh, the mob song that uh, once it was Gaston started. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that whole thing, just building on it. Then from there, um, I think we would want to make sure that whoever we have, we have a big name to draw people in. Nowadays. Nowadays. Because um, it's hard to sell a musical, so you want to have to try uh, at least now it is. So for the screen, so you want to make sure that you have somebody in uh, in the film that's going to be on the big end of that name scale. So like having the John Travolta's, the Meryl Streep's, the, the Anne Hathaway's, Hugh Jackman's, those kind of people, now that they're big stars, uh, will cause people to go, I'm going to go see that movie. The biggest thing I can say about that is the fact that big names do sell Though sometimes it really helps if they can actually sing. Looking at you, Pierce Brosnan, Mamma Mia. Thank you. Exactly. Um, so that being said, you know, Meryl Streep can actually sing. Hugh Jackman actually sings. <laughs> so can Russell Crowe. <laughs> um, Johnny Depp can sing. He was actually pretty decent. Yeah. Sweetie Todd. Yeah, it's true. Um, Which is another uh, adaptation. Of I forgot about um, Then from that it's okay to have people that are unknown. Uh, several major uh, actors and actresses who've, a uh, couple of them at least, that have come out of uh, relatively unknown points. Uh, Barbara Streisand, funny girl, when she first started off, unknown person. Now she's huge in music and musicals. Huge. Sorry, I have huge. a song Barbara Streisand stuck in my head. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Blonsky was... Um, a huge uh, was a no name before hairspray, so talent uh, sometimes talent yeah. trumps. Yeah, and then I mean, if you want to throw in this uh, Jennifer Hudson, who was known for uh, it was uh, American Idol. Yeah, I think so. Uh, beforehand, but she really didn't have anything otherwise. Uh, no acting credits to her name that I'm aware of. Playing Effie and uh, Dream Girls. Yeah, exactly. Um, from there. Uh, you usually have some sort of new song that's added to the music of the film versus what was on stage. Um, and, again. Oh. Uh, and it's specifically there to help draw for Oscar bait to try to get Oscar nominations. I guess that's the biggest thing is that they, they, they put in a new song. I think it from, uh, from a play to a movie specifically to, uh, unharsh the fact that they're cutting so many actual songs usually. That might be a good reason. Um, like, if you were to go for taking Aladdin, for instance, uh, when they had the original film, they cut out a lot of the songs that they wanted to use, that yeah. uh, Alan Menken wanted to use. There was like a, another four or so. That yeah, they just that they, when they went to the stage, they were able to put those back in and change things around to what they originally envisioned Aladdin to be, the, the story of Aladdin to be. Then when they brought it, 
now that they're bringing it back to the live action for the film, they went back to the original vision of the animated movie and they've added a new song. So that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Next, you would want to streamline uh, the music of the uh, piece to be more story driven. Um, I'd say more concise would be a better way of phrasing it so that everything has its place and doesn't seem uh, extraneous or... um, Right. Well, I mean, in this case, you want things that are going to move the story along versus, like, for instance, Rent, which in the musical version, uh, the stage version, rather, you have a bunch of songs at the very beginning that are literally just supposed to be recordings on answering machines uh, to the characters, kind of introducing them a little bit. And it's not necessary in the film they completely do away with those and go right into the meat of what the music is straight to film isn't isn't uh free of this i think the first half hour of willy Wonka and the chocolate factory could really be cut without any (laughs) noticeable difference especially the 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 dear charlie Charlie. yeah yeah right um and then uh our last thing that i wanted to bring up was usually the film adaptations of musicals have a clear message that they're or theme that they're going to push along. Um, a great example would be uh, with the musical Hairspray. Um, the major difference uh, between the uh, whites and the blacks in the musical of not mixing, you can't have that. White is white, black is black. There's no, you you can't have anybody in between or being friends or listening or doing things with the other person without causing trouble. You can't desegregate here. That ain't allowed. Especially on TV um, back in the 50s. That's not going to happen. And lo and behold, it happens and the whole world becomes changed and everybody's equal and happy and by the end of the movie. To be fair, though, that's kind of applies to every movie. It's like this having a good underlying theme. I think musicals just kind of I don't want to say more obvious one, but they definitely have to uh, touch on it a little more readily with their songs and otherwise. Yeah, they have to have something that's going to carry the crowd with them and truly have the crowd backing it 100% um, or backing it for the most part and really driving that theme home. Um, so I got to have catching music. <laughs> and, some, and in some cases, you just don't have that. Uh, so uh, if you want a good one, those are the things that you need. If you want a good musical, that is, those are the pieces that you need to have a good musical for film. Or at least they definitely contribute to some of our favorites. For sure, for sure. So, where are we at next? Well, that I'm just going to point out that all five of my top musicals are not adaptations of uh, stage plays. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I think that and might be true of mine. One of them has some humor in it. <laughs> uh, that's fair. I mean, and... I said majority of, not all. <laughs> yeah, we should we should definitely preface like, this with the fact that this is doesn't apply for everything. It's just probably a good rule of thumb. Yeah, for instance, Lame is for the most part is incredibly depressing. A French yeah. guy steals a loaf of bread and does it gets nothing. Does hard time, yeah. It. And I mean, you have a little bit of uh, laughing uh, or a little bit of humor with Helena Bottom Carter's character and um, why am I blanking on the guy who played Bruno? I would have said Borat, but whatever. Yeah, well, Sasha Baron. Sasha Baron Cohen. Thank you. Uh, his character, British Jew. Sweeney Todd or Les Mis. Les Mis. Oh, um, she was in Les Mis too. Yeah, they were both in Les Mis. Yeah. Um, she, they play uh, Master of the House. Yep. Keeper of the Keys. Yeah. Yeah. They they play a couple of uh, uh, thieves basically. Yeah. Um, who raise a daughter to, who's also a thief. 
Yeah. Humor helps, but sometimes the depression really does tuck at the heartstrings more. I have a exactly. whole movie that is now on Broadway or off Broadway that is about a street busker and how depressed he is. And that's it. That's the whole movie. It is one of the best made musicals of all time. Wow. That sounds like a niche. But it's, <laughs> it's all, I mentioned diegetic because it is all diegetic because everything on screen is being played by the main actor and the main female and like the band in it. But it doesn't follow any of the rules you just mentioned. Right. I mean, <laughs> and it's my number one musical. And that's kind of why. Time. So. That's kind of why I, I hesitate to call it rules, more like general uh, general guidelines. Yeah. More be better. Not rules, but guidelines. Yeah. What would you call guidelines and actual? More of a suge- loose suggestion is what yeah. people should have uh, or use. Because yeah. um, once. Yeah. doesn't really follow the tropes of a musical. That's true. You look that's- at Sing Street by the same director, John Carney, doesn't follow a lot of the same rules that were that doesn't mean That doesn't mean bad. It was- it's, it's bad. It's more if they use it properly, yeah. the opposite can be as good or better. But then again, that's using it properly. Yeah, and, and then, then the instance of Sing Street, that was made specifically for a film. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's using original music. Mostly. Uh, for uh, in a lot of cases, uh, there's a lot of really good original music in that. Yeah. Same with Once. Yes. But and Begin Again, for those of you who like John Carney. Yeah. The other thing is, so if you take Once as a musical, which it is. Yeah. Would you take something like, say, Bohemian Rhapsody or next week's Rocket Man? You know, what? I think I would. Because, because it is, again, a diegetic musical. Mm-hmm. They're biopics, but they also kind of fall into the musical theme because they, they are... are specifically about two very famous singers. I would definitely, I mean, I would do, I would say that's a musical, much like I would say that uh, Amadeus is a musical. <laughs> yeah, like, hypothetically, like, Dreamgirls and a biopic about the Supremes or something like that would be, they're both musicals. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that those qualify. Ray, Walk the Line, yeah. technically all musicals. The thing is, is, um, What's the focus? The focus is, is in a lot of cases, is in, the music is a big focus of what's going on mm-hmm. with the story, and it helps to drive that story. And I think that's what truly makes a musical a musical, is the music is the one of the main driving factors of the story. Um, it, facil- it It's a big facilitator as to how you get from the beginning to the end and everything in between. Oh, as well as plot progression and also character motivations in a slightly catchier format. Yeah. It's, it, to be fair, some of the some of the songs, especially in Disney, are plot dumps that if they weren't being sung would be reviled for how long and just in your face they are. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of those cases, that's the beauty of what a musical can do is it can take this song and keep it from being word vomit um essentially and we don't have to hear like this giant talk between two people or one person going well these are my thoughts and this is my inner monologue and this is what i'm going to talk about and these are my feelings oh gosh um instead we can actually see some sort of action going along (laughs) with it and we can see them emoting they just do it all to a 4-4 four, four beat. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can. music touches us in a way that um, sometimes dialogue can't. 
I've seen people t- uh, tear up on some some actual song songs, whereas if the same were played straight with, with just the actual scene, wouldn't have nearly gotten that response. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like Sometimes music is the facilitator that we need in order to drive home the emotion that we're trying to get. A whole song about how I'm getting old. My daughter's now a teenager. I kill people for a living. It's a really weird song. The, okay, hang on. What? Nope. <laughs> We'll, we'll cover that we're, one. We're, yeah. That'll be on my list next week. That, okay. We'll probably end up making, what, a top three, top five list next week? Uh, well, you know what? I want to say top three because I actually want to explore a little bit about, about why we each like it. Because right. let's change it up a bit. Okay, fair. I'm going to just say that Sing Street's not making my top. I'm going to, yeah, Sing Street's not making my top three. So I'm not sure a lot of model okay, ones fair. Are. And Nightmare... Can we say stuff we've said before? Because I've said Nightmare yeah, Before Christmas. Yeah, so here's the deal. I, I want to change, change less a top three and more like uh, a right. favorite three. It's yeah. Like, so Because that would be kind of rotate a little That's bit. kind of what I've we'll always see. been doing. Well, see, here's, <laughs> here's the other thing that I think that uh, we should get out there for anybody who listens to us to understand going forward. Uh, I think that uh, going forward, our list should be changed in the fact that who cares if we use something again for something? If it fits and makes sense why it's there, use it. Well, the other thing is the fact that if we're focusing more on what uh, a particular aspect that we liked, we're not. I'm not going to say uh, something I liked in John Wick for action is the same as what I liked in John Wick for a thriller aspect, or the or to go more Pandorum thr- thriller and horror. Those are two very different things that I like, and two more often than not very different scenes that that convey that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think we can, we're trying to refine. I I think that's the basic gist of it all. So eventually hammer it into something. Yeah. Um, So yeah, reuse. That's fine. (laughs) Welding joke. All right. (laughs) Probably still won't make it up there because I have three that I haven't used for any list before and I won't use baby driver, but I, I would actually say that's potentially a a musical. No, I would call it a musical because yeah, it's it's all diegetic, but it's still, everything is to the beat. The music is the driving force of that movie. It's the driving force, it's the driving motive, and like I said, everything is to that beat, even stuff that you would not expect to be. Yeah, I was watching something the other day, and uh, not going to lie, something similar was happening in that particular scene where the music and the action were in exact sync to each other, and I'm like, huh, I never would have noticed this before had it not been for James and Devin. Thanks, guys. There's a few moments in Scott's I appreciate that. There's a few moments in Scott Pilgrim, particularly the Roxy fight, yep. the fourth evil X, uh, where a lot of the punches land on beat, just coincidentally. Yeah, and, and it's, he didn't it's notice so, that until the, the score came back. So Yeah, and it's so nice when that sort of stuff happens. It's it, Whether or not it's a coincidence or whether or not they set out to do that, more often than not, that's the case. It's it just lends that extra credence and you remember those scenes so much more when those when those songs come on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I think next week gonna start talking about some uh, some musicals that we enjoy. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it's gonna be fun. All right, cool. Yeah, mine's not gonna be any. Mine's probably not gonna conflict with anybody. Scratch that. Ours are gonna be fun. Devin's yours are gonna be an abomination, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. That's that's a yes. One's hyper gory. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with zombies. It was the zombies. Covers. It's not zombies. It's <laughs> gory. So we can rule that movie out. Awesome. It was yeah. the assassin. <laughs> I was thinking about adding Anna in the Apocalypse, but I'm not sure. Let, let's That's leave fair. that to next week. Yeah.
Yeah. So yeah, next week we'll be doing our favorite three musicals. Uh, well, some of our favorites. Again, I'll, I'll, and I'll probably throw some specials. None of the, I made a list kind of while we were talking here. Like I like Davida. <laughs> okay. Uh, a whole lot of the other movies we talked about, I just can't stand. So that's fair. Like all of the musicals I like are not based on th- on stage because it plays better in stage than it does theater or uh, movie theater film. Okay, so a lot of mine are original or were then converted later, like once. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to be ste- steering clear of uh, theater originals. Fair. Um, other than that, uh, next week musicals. Uh, Next week, actually, we have Rocket Man, which can be considered a musical. I'm actually looking very much forward to that. Yeah, I'm not big. I'm not the biggest fan of Elton John. It looks like Bohemian Rhapsody too. Yeah, like I said, it, I'm not the biggest fan of Queen, so that's why I didn't go see that because we. It's honestly going to be a greatest hits of, of, of Elton John for Rocket Man. I enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not a huge Queen fan either, but I at least was like, I know all these songs. Cool. Yeah, I liked them. I thought it was uh, uh, overall a good movie. Um, and it was an intriguing look in general, if nothing else, just to see how some of the music was made. Um, even if it wasn't quite the focus of the film that I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. But hey, whatever. And I can definitely say the production for Rocketman looks decent. Yeah. I I like Taron Egerton. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to see. He's fun. I want to see how he does, uh, portrays the role of, uh. (laughs) Considering he worked with them. He worked with them for a little while in Kingsman 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's why it was kind of funny that it was him doing Elton yeah. John. And what else is coming out that week, next week? Uh, there's also Ma, the Octavia Spencer, Spencer thriller, where yeah. she's like a creepy what psycho lady. Yeah. I've seen one trailer for it in one, one movie. I can't remember which movie I saw, but I'm intrigued. Octavia huh. Spencer is a potential murderer. That's kind of cool. I, 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 I honestly can't think of anything, anything I've heard about this one. It... It's it, one that popped up. I've seen one trailer for, it and I've never, I've and like a poster, and I've never seen anything. Else. I've seen a poster, and I've seen two trailers for it. Both of them in the same trailer for two different uh, in two different films that I was going to see. But yeah, it looks intriguing and slightly creepy, and I it looks like something that I might just laugh at the ridiculousness of Octavia Spencer being evil. I like the idea of her. You go. You get home safe now. It's like. Okay. Right. Because okay, I like bah. Octavia Spencer and everything else I've seen her in. She's been either like super like badass, but in like endearing at the same time. She's always the nice person. Yeah. So her being like potentially a murderer, that's eh, intriguing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Out of the comfort zone. Out of the comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or she's just super nice through the whole thing and all everything's implied and I'll be like, that's still okay. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes that's kind of nice. That's yeah. that's a subversion I can sometimes get behind. I'm now picturing her hiding like body parts and everything and calling it hidden fingers. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, the big one coming out next week is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even. I, I'll be honest. I like the cast. I mean, Eleven's in there. Tywin Lannister's in there. Uh, Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe's in there. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, definitely a selling point for me. Other people are in the movie. Zhang Ji's in the movie. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the last one. I mean, I like the parts where we actually saw the monsters fight. You can't tell me that when Godzilla just 
ripped with that laser beam down the one monster's mouth. It wasn't awesome. Yeah, I I want more of that. That'd be. Kinda, I'm sure we'll get more of that. I, it's, it's a kaiju film. I have a feeling that this one though seems like they're trying to pack a lot too much into such a short amount of time. That that's kind of the thing. It's a, you're, you're it's giant monsters fighting. What what the hell kind of story are you trying to tell here? I think ultimately it's just setting up for uh, Godzilla versus King Kong, and oh. it's it'll be like Godzilla gets his ass kicked for the first two two thirds of the movie, and then King Kong shows up to save the day or something. And no, I'm no, just expecting Godzilla gets his ass kicked by Kong for the for the first two thirds, then has a Rocky montage with him jumping rope, <laughs> and then beats him with a tail whip. <laughs> like to be like fair, jumping over a giant snake or something. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, I would watch that and laugh. It would yeah. not be a good film, but I'd watch it. Right. Yeah. I don't um, know. It, it just seems too busy. I don't know how much I'm going to like this one. I'll go see it just because, well, it looks like an interesting Godzilla film. And that'll probably be, that'll probably be a week where I, uh, where I watch what, where I watch something that I haven't watched yet instead I'm, of that. Yeah. I was never a big fan of the original Godzilla's. So like King Ghidorah and Mothra and all the different characters. I'm like, cool, awesome. These have been done. Like I was, someone new. I was when I was a kid, but it, eh. it's it just feels like needing to fan service because I can't come up with a better better creature to come up to fight. And you know what? Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem I have with a lot of these redone live action stuff. Yeah. Just in general. I'm also intrigued as to find out why exactly the one character in the previews seems to be actually trying to purposely unlock these things from whatever's holding them in like hey this thing's uh frozen in a giant thing of ice let's on let's just blow up the ice thing to let it free why because maybe they're like godzilla and maybe they're going to help but they're not (laughs) right very obviously it's the hydro looking thing I'm like, uh, why? Uh, Gidera, Gidera, yeah. something. Like I know. Gidera. I don't know. I never followed the all the different monsters. <laughs> I knew Mothra, and that was it. I know. I'm waiting for them to make Mecha Godzilla versus King Kong, <laughs> and it'll be like, well, you never established that there's any kind of cybernetic Mecha stuff going on, and I'm, then Gypsy Danger. I'm just waiting. Shard was in, and I'm like. Cool. Awesome. Get I'm just waiting record. for Godzilla versus the Meg versus Sharktopus versus Sharknado. Uh, Sharknado versus King Kong. That's I'm just waiting for that. Godzilla tonight. grabs a Sharknado. See, I just by the want tail. Pacific Rim <laughs> fighting Godzilla, like because Godzilla would beat the crap out of the new. I love the first Pacific Rims, but the second. Oof. The second I still let's save that for another day. Yeah, we'll right. eventually talk about or talk about kaiju stuff, but oof. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I'm not super excited for I'll see it. Best. I'll see it when it comes out, but kind of like Rocket Man, kind of like Ma, it's not a very exciting weekend. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Kind of like this weekend, Aladdin, Brightburn, Booksmart, looking forward to Brightburn, and then the other two. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I'll catch up on Saw. Maybe I'll finally finish the series. Brightburn, I'm super looking forward to. Uh, the other ones, yeah. But with that, uh, next week we'll be talking about musicals. And in the meantime, I'm James. I'm Tom. And I'm Devin. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Watch more movies.